0: Here's
1: Michael at the foul line. A shot on Elo. Good! The Bulls win! It! They win it! Don't you open your mouth about the best. I'm going to send it for you real quick.
0: L-O-B.
2: Listen, we're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We're talking about
0: practice. Lewis gets it to LeBron for three for the win. Yes! LeBron James and the
1: Bulls.
2: mindset when you stepped in the batter's box. Go yard. I mean, (laughs) I'm a pitcher. Why not swing as hard as I can? I got nothing to lose. It's nothing to man above. Don't put you in situations that you can't handle. Instead of saying, why me? They're saying, this is what he want me to do. And, uh, Cleveland! This is for you! The way we approach the game is the same way we approach life. You do the right thing. You make the right play. Make the right play. And life is the same thing. What do you feel in your heart is the right thing to do? And you do that. You know, it seems so simple, but sometimes the simplest things are the hardest things to do. And, um, um, I think it's just that.
1: Welcome to What?
2: The Game. Me. To me. What's going on everybody welcome back to another episode of what the game means to me I'm your host of course Jelani Brown and I'm joined by a very very special guest today Chris Brown uh, not the singer unfortunately but still a very talented hardworking and intelligent individual that I can see will definitely be a very great mentor and friend to me he's worked in ncaa compliance has his own consultant firm and he will also be dropping his own podcast very very soon and he'll uh tell you details about that in the show so it's great to be able to get him on the show especially with all the news surrounding the ncaa so i was able to pick his brain and you know understand how the decisions are made on that ncaa level and um just get his thoughts uh about everything that's in the news as a whole so listen up and hope you guys enjoy Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of What the Game Means To Me. Of course, I'm your host, Jelani Brown. Um, I have a very, very special guest to me with me today. Sorry. Um, we talked about it a little bit before, we might be relatives, we don't know yet, but we definitely gonna figure out um, you know, later on down the road. But got my guest today. Um, his name's Chris Brown. Had a lot of experience on the NCAA level with compliance. Um, worked uh in a lot of different um roles, pretty much in you know I think he's gonna get into it, but uh athletic uh, side of things and um, yeah just got him here today he has a lot a lot going on he's getting his PhD uh, from the University of Kansas So, yep, okay, okay. yeah, and then we're also he's also um, you know starting his podcast about the NCAA called Major and then we're also going to get into you know why and how he got into you know his career field and you know sports in general and just what it means to, uh means to him so definitely excited to have him on today got a lot in store got a lot of questions I have for him Um, So we're just going to hop right into it. So I always start off asking my guests um, pretty much what the game means to them. So what has sports uh, meant to you um, in your lifetime?
0: Johnny, you know, first and foremost, thanks for the opportunity to be on your podcast. I'm a big fan. Uh, What the game means to me, it's, it's hard to even break it down. I mean, my career in athletics, I know we'll get into some of the details, has been better than I ever could have imagined. You know, growing up as a kid, sport was everything to me. You know we all have hobbies and things that we do but for me sports was always that thing that was my hook i remember as a kid carrying around books with sports statistics because i just always wanted to be around the game and it didn't matter the sport you know i played everything wasn't good at anything but i still (laughs) loved it every step of the way and so the fact that not only was it a passion but the fact that i was able to convert that passion into a profession okay. has just been incredible. And it's also offered me the opportunity to educate and to help other people who have that same passion, convert that into a career as well. And so the game is pretty much my world to me. So I can't thank athletics in the world of sports enough for everything that it's given to me. And even this opportunity right now,
2: mm-hmm.
0: the game is responsible for that.
2: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, say so we were talking a little bit before we, uh, I pressed, you know, live, um, but everybody that knows me, you might be listening, and I probably mentioned it a few times, but I'm a recent graduate, um, and I earned a sports administration degree thinking about possibly going back and getting my master's degree as well from Georgia state. So it's, uh, definitely going to use this as a tool to, like I said, not only learn more about, you know, Chris, um, and his pathway in sports, but, you know, others as well, that's kind of in the same position as me. Um, definitely as listening in, you know, maybe I'm sure he has a bunch of gems to, uh, to drop in, you know, knowledge, in order to help you get into the sports industry. Because as we all know, it's pretty hard. Um, you know, all you hear is pretty much network, 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 and you know, it's about who you know all the time, what you know. So um, like I said, definitely enjoy and blessed to have this opportunity to speak with him today about this. Um, before I get into more, you know, some more of the questions, you know, about how you got into, you know, in NCAA compliance and everything. Um, and even uh, you have your own, you um, compliance you know company called brown athletics consulting so um like i, I want to get into that but before uh i do i wanted to see or just ask Like I say you played a few sports i just want to see what sports you played and then maybe uh any role models or idols that uh influenced you um while growing up or ones that you just you know loved watching in general
0: oh man so i'm a kid who grew up in colorado and so I was a huge Denver Bronco fan. And I got spoiled too, because I grew up in the nineties. So yeah. we had John Elway a quarterback, Terrell Davis a running back, oh, Shannon Sharp. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Everyone sees him on Fox, but to me he was the best tight end in the game. He had Rod Smith, Ed McCaffrey. So those nineties Broncos teams, those are my idols. In addition, I mean, as a basketball fan, you know, nineties basketball is unbelievable. So growing up with Michael Jordan, a young Kobe Bryant, like mm-hmm. I was not just a fan of all Remember being a kid and they had Little Caesars this back in the day used to when you got a pizza give you a cardboard cutout and so it didn't matter what cardboard cutout you got you could get Carl Malone Mm -hmm. Michael Jordan Shaq it didn't matter either way you were walking away happy so you know it's hard to even think about who my exact hero was because I had just so many on a revolving uh, kind of a day basis Mm -hmm. in terms of sports that I played I mean everything the only thing I didn't play was football I wanted to play really bad, thought I would have been pretty good. Uh, my mother would not let that happen. She just <laughs> didn't want any of her kids playing football. And so I was able to play everything but it. You know, it was funny. It's I loved sports so much growing up. But you put me on a track and field team, put me on the track. I was always the slowest person there. <laughs> you know, put me on the basketball court. I'm always slow. My shot's not quite on. And so it always helped to be a fan because at least it was all right. I'm a pretty good fan at least compared to actually performing the sports themselves.
2: Oh wow, yeah, I uh, definitely get that football sentiment. Even you know, I guess you was kind of ahead of the curve. I know, um, of course, like from just looking at it, it was a uh, you know obviously it's like more you know contact driven. Obviously, a lot more injuries in certain you know certain aspects. But of course, you know, I guess past like maybe five six years, you know, obviously with concussions and all the discussions with that coming up. And you know even people learning even more about the head trauma and everything you know obviously seeing some of the, uh some great players you know unfortunately commit suicide and stuff mm-hmm. uh, I guess, like i said i could definitely see you know, like i said she kind of headed the curve and see why you know parents might not want their uh, kid playing football but luckily like you said you had all the other sports to kind of keep busy and uh You know, active as well. I kind of wanted to get into, like I just said, kind of like how you came about to working in um, compliance in the NCAA. So, um, I guess you could talk about, you know, your early schooling um, and pretty much, you know, how you got to where you are today in the uh, sports industry.
0: Yeah, definitely. Well, you know, I don't know if it's nature or nurture, but in either regard, I hit the parental jackpot. So, my parents have always been fantastic, very supportive, have a great brother and sister. And so, Mm -hmm. I was born in North Carolina. My dad was in the Army at the time. And we very quickly moved from North Carolina to Germany Mm -hmm. and then from Germany out to Colorado where my dad ultimately retired from the military after 20 years. Mm -hmm. And so growing up in Colorado, you know, um, went to school, played all kinds of sports, was really into student government. That was probably the thing I was better at Mm -hmm. uh, than actually sports. And so when it came time to go to college, I applied to only maybe four schools. Mm-hmm. and knew that I wanted to major in political science. And so I figured, well, a poli-sci degree is a poli-sci degree wherever I go. And so mm-hmm. narrowed it down to two schools, ended up picking Colorado State University. It was about two hours away from home. And so I thought, perfect, I can be far away enough from home to have that independence, but still close enough that when I wanna go see my parents, I can. Mm-hmm. So I went up there and, you know, quickly switched from political science to history. And so with the ultimate plan of going to law school, so during the time when I was an undergrad, I had worked at the recreation center, personal training, and then being a building supervisor. And so I had a friend ask me pretty pointedly, why do you want to be a lawyer? And you know, it's funny, no one had ever asked me why I wanted to do something. We focus so much on, well, what do you want to be? We never even talk about the why we want to be it. And so, you know, for your listeners who do or don't know, law school is pretty expensive. There are a lot of people walking around with a half a million dollars in loans yeah. for their law degree. Also, it's very strenuous. You're putting in a lot of effort for three years. And so I figured out, okay, if I don't know why I'm about to do this, I probably shouldn't invest all of this money and time into going to law school. Exactly. So I went back to the drawing board and went, okay, well, you graduate in six months. You got to figure out something to do. And so, you know, I had another friend come up and tell me one day, he said, hey, Chris, you know, you can get a graduate degree paid for if you go and get a graduate assistantship. So Mm -hmm. I said, I don't know what those are, but I'll do whatever if I'm gonna get free school. And so I applied to all these universities who had recreation centers to be their graduate assistantship. And I ended up getting one offer out of all of the applications that I put in. And I think for everyone listening, you all are probably right now submitting application after application and you might not be hearing anything back It's unbelievably frustrating, but all it takes is one. And so Austin P. State University, which is in Clarksville, Tennessee, said, hey, you can come on out here and get your graduate degree as long as you work within our recreation center. So packed up, moved from Colorado to Tennessee, got out there and so loved the people that I was working with, was in a great environment. But, you know, working in recreation wasn't for me. It just wasn't quite the right fit and so once again i've made a big move to really cross country now i'm doing the same thing i was doing a year before trying to figure out well what do i want to do with my life timing wise you know it was around the time of a pretty major ncaa scandal that was tattoo gate where at ohio state Uh you had some football student athletes get in trouble for uh trading memorabilia for tattoos for doing some work uh that they were paid more for than was actually valued for and so I'm sitting here at Austin Peay going, oh, I'm interested. I'm really fascinated by this. That's all ESPN is talking about, where all I know about Ohio State is about their juggernaut of an academic institution, but they're very quickly being overshined by a handful of football players. And I'm like, this is interesting. I want to do compliance. So I do what we tell everyone to do who wants to break into the sport industry. I'm sure you heard this when you're getting your degree. If you want to work in sports, you have to put yourself out there and be willing to work for free. So resume. I printed out my resume. I walked over to the compliance person, Austin P. said, Hey, name's Chris Brown. Here's my resume. I have my degree. I will work for free. Just let me learn from you. And I can still see her to this day. She looked down, looked up at me and said, I'm good. Thanks, but no thanks. Oh, wow. I'm like, but I did it right. I, I yeah. offered to work for free. I had the degree, this should be working. And so we're friends now and we can joke about it, but I remember being pretty jarred at that point of going, okay, another door is closed. Well, for those who don't know, Clarksville, Tennessee is an interesting place in that you have Fort Campbell, which is a military base right there. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, one of the ways Austin P appeals to students is we'll put a lot of the curriculum online. So if you have folks in the military who wants to take part in those classes, they can without worry about, hey, if I get deployed or if I get stationed at another base, I can still keep on taking classes at Austin P, And they're not going to charge me an arm and a leg for me moving out of state. And so consequently, you had a lot of online courses that some students just weren't necessarily prepared to take quite yet. And so I ended up getting a role helping to tutor over in the Athletics Academic Advising Center. And so did that for a few months, and it was good to get my feet wet. And then that next year, I ran into the same compliance administrator who had turned me down, and she ended up connecting me to an internship. So I had an internship at the Ohio Valley Conference. And so you know there was only one issue with it, and that is it was unpaid. And so I would work a few days a week. And then on my off days, I would substitute teach at the military base. And so did that for a year. And when I got there, it was the coolest thing. You know, the commissioner, Beth DeBush, who's still out there, had worked at the NCAA national office. Mm -hmm. My direct supervisor, Matt Banker, who's at Louisville now, had worked at the NCAA national office. So I'm thinking, okay, the path to greatness is working at the NCAA national office. And so they have a great internship program. I encourage anyone who's thinking about working in college athletics to take a look at the NCAA internship. And so, you know, I put together my packet. I had all the letters of recommendation. I submitted it thinking I'm good. This is going to be my next step. That's how my career is going to play out. Wouldn't you know, I didn't even get a phone interview. And so I'm a little salty still. Like I'm almost (laughs) over it at this point. Almost a decade later, but I remember thinking, man, I, I had everything in order. This is not how it's supposed to work out. But at the same time, I couldn't dwell too long because, well, I need a job. Mm-hmm. And so was fortunate to get an offer from Southeast Missouri State University, which is in the Ohio, Ohio Valley Conference. And so I uh, took a position as an assistant director. And, you know, I was reflecting back with a friend the other day when I took that job. I was an assistant director and my boss was the assistant was the assistant athletic director. And they hadn't hired the assistant athletic director. So I took a job where I didn't even have a boss at that point. But, you know, it worked out. I mean, everything happens for a reason. I had an incredible boss, Rachel Blunt, who's at Central Michigan now, while I was there, who showed me the ropes of compliance. But I also had an athletics director, Mark Allnut, who's the AD at Buffalo now. And, you know, he, I was pretty fortunate in terms of stepping into that job. You know, we're talking about right now racial inequities in collegiate athletics and how there aren't a lot of black administrators or coaches mm-hmm, exactly. in the revenue-generating sports. And for my first full-time job, I had a black athletics director. And so Mark walked into my office one day and told me, hey, the NCAA puts on this thing called a Leadership Institute for Ethnic Minorities. I went through it. Would you like me to nominate you? Now, a good lesson in life is that if an athletics director asks hey, do you want me to nominate you something other Mm -hmm. than for termination? You just (laughs) say yes, you smile, and you figure it out later. And so I said, yeah, of course. Thanks for even thinking of me. Mm -hmm. Ended up getting into the Leadership Institute, and it was great. It was things that I wish I would have been doing when I was in undergrad. It was all about clarifying your values, what do you want your life to look like, right? Do you want to be a workaholic or do you want some balance where you're at home with your family, and your kids at night? Yeah. Okay. What jobs align better with what you want within your life? And so, you know, I made an offhand comment one day when I was just at the leadership Institute that, Hey, I, you know, I wanted to be an NCAA intern. I'd love to work there full time. And someone at the Institute worked at the NCAA and said, Oh, we'll help you. we will get you a job there. And I'm <laughs> thinking, okay, this is the internship all over again. So I'm not going to get my yeah. hopes up. Well sure enough, uh, about 2 weeks later after the institute, I get an email from this guy and he says, "This is a compliance related job. I've talked you up to the hiring people. You should apply for it."
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: I looked at it and there was one pretty glaring issue for me, and that is it was division 2. Mm-hmm. And so at the time, I'd only ever gone to a D1 school, I'd only ever worked in D1 compliance, and I'm not ashamed to admit I was a snob and I said, "D2, <laughs> why why would I work in D? I'm D2. D1." And then even (laughs) further, why would they want to hire me? I've never opened up a D2 manual in my life. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I did my research, my due diligence. I talked to some people who knew the folks on that team. They said very great things about them. And I said, okay, a person's put themselves out there for me. I'm going to go ahead and apply.
2: Yeah,
0: I applied and I'll tell you, it was the best career decision I've ever made. You know, it was a great two years working as an assistant director in Division two. I worked in an area called Academic and Membership Affairs. And so Mm -hmm. they're the people who... Uh, A good way to think about them is they oversee the manual and the rules. So when a school has a question about, hey, I have this situation going on, I have this student athlete that uh, is only having this number of credit hours, how do we get them eligible or how do we go about fixing the scenario that we're working through? It was our job to help them through that process. I mean, this part of the job gets a lot more publicity, but waiver processing so the best example is a student athlete has transferred to one too many schools and needs a waiver to be eligible. That was our shop's responsibility. So I did that for two years, along with helping schools when they decide to join the NCAA, matriculate mm-hmm. through that process. Then after two years, I had the opportunity to get a promotion and so uh, made the jump to Division three. So I was able to do uh, really the circuit of all the divisions. And yep. so my job responsibility shifted a little bit. You know, and waivers stayed the same. You never escape those within that department. Mm-hmm. But I also started to write NCAA rules and draft legislation, which, you know, wasn't really for me. It was something that I'm glad I got the experience for, but just not the best fit for me. But mm-hmm. one of the cooler parts of the job was I got to support the President's Council. And so the president's council in each division is the highest governing body. Uh, you might've seen on ESPN that division three, division two have already canceled their fall championships. Well, the oh, president's that. council is who got to decide that. And oh, so wow. I'm sitting in the room with all these leaders who are, you know, just really high level thinkers, some of the brightest people that I've ever been around. And so the chair at that time was a guy by the name of Jeff Docking, who is the president of Adrian college. And so I had picked up his book. A crisis in higher education about really private schools and the challenges that they're facing uh, with this enrollment landscape, and so it was really centering upon how he took a school that was on the brink of closing and used the athletics program to get them to a place where they're now flourishing. Mm -hmm. And so it was a very strategic approach. Added multiple teams, roster quotas. It's fascinating. And so I'm sitting there going, okay, I'm used to the Division One world of we play these games. CBS or whatever, the media entity gives us all of this money. And that's how we bring in money into our conference, into our school. But this was the first time that I went, OK, wow, athletics can play a very different role on a university campus. I want in. I want to do more stuff that's more big picture and high level in terms of making changes. And so I decided one of the best ways to do that is to get my Ph.D. and be Dr. Brown. And so I took uh, what some people thought at the time was kind of a controversial step. And I quit my job, sold my house, moved out to Lawrence, Kansas. You know, the folks at the University of Kansas were kind enough to offer me funding so I could work on my doctorate. And so, you know, it was a leap of faith. And, you know, you leave something that's pretty steady. It's a good job. It's a well-known name. There's a nice brand to it. When you say you work for the NCAA, people might not know exactly what that means, but they know the NCAA. But exactly. you got to follow your instinct. You got to follow your heart, whatever the case may be, to make those decisions. And so made the jump to come to the University of Kansas. So I'll go ahead and stop there. That's kind of the how I ended up navigating through sports. Happy to tell you a little bit more about what I'm doing nowadays. But mm-hmm. uh, that was kind of the not really the short of the long, but the long <laughs> of the long.
2: Yeah. Oh no, that, but you know, like I said, everything I need to hear and know and say, it's all interesting to me. Pretty much like everybody in the sports industry already knows, like everything is not always straightforward. You think like, you know, you do this, this and this, like, you know, like you said, you think you're going to get the job. Like you pretty much have the experience. You got everything right. You said you even would work for free. <laughs> and like I said, it's just not all, all the time. It's not that easy, unfortunately. But like I said, your career path. And like I said, your your passion, especially about I guess the next things I'm about to get into now. Like I said, I kind of did a little bit of research and know that you start your own consulting firm and also getting your PhD. Kind of wanted to um, you know talk about being able to balance both of those. And you know, you already led to it a little bit, but why you know you wanted to pursue both of those things? So I guess I'll start first with um, with your consulting firm. When did you start it? Kind of like what came about starting it? Um, the process of starting it. And um, what, I guess, makes you stand out different from competitors, if there is you know, any at all?
0: Yeah. So, you know, it's been a labor of love for anyone who's either like yourself, started a podcast, started a business. It's a lot of work and a lot of behind the scenes things that go into it, most of which aren't making you money, which yeah. makes it even harder. But, you know, I decided a long time ago when I was at the national office, we had worked with a number of consultants through different processes. And i remember thinking gosh i want to do that one of these days when i get the opportunity i'm going to do that you know when i left the national office i was fortunate enough that there were a lot of transitions on staff and so i was able to stay on as a consultant to the national office and so that dream and goal of having my own consulting firm got put on the back burner for a little while yeah. but once the staff was in a better place and they didn't need my services anymore i said well okay i'm still good at this compliance thing I'm still good at my job can I find a way to help other people through what I do? Because is money good? Yeah, sure. It's nice to get money. It's nice to get paid. But for me, I've always loved helping people. And that's kind of that guiding principle for me. And so did some research and decided, okay, I want to start an LLC. And so I went through LegalZoom. I just used the application. It was pretty seamless, uh-huh. started up the LLC and you know, went and got a website through Squarespace. It was kind of uh user friendly. I'm not that technologically savvy. And so was able to put a little website together. And so, you know, when we posted the website, my initial thought was, well, all right, Chris, you need to mentally prepare. You might not get business for a long time. But once you graduate with your PhD and your Dr. Brown, mm-hmm. maybe you'll get a little bit more business. But at least you can say, hey, we've been established since June of 2019. We've been in mm-hmm. business. And so sure enough, you know, I ended up probably a month after posting that website starting to get some business trickling in, which has yeah. been fantastic and it has been great to work with people and help them through some of their processes. So, uh, you know, in terms of what really sets uh, us apart from our competition, we have a lot of great folks out there who are doing what we do, right? So the idea of being a consultant and helping schools through compliance issues isn't a really new idea. You have yeah. primarily a lot of law firms do that and so bonchonic and king is one example here about an hour away from where i live and they handle a lot of the big cases you have the compliance group also down the road and so when you think of this is just an example the university of louisville and what they went through a few years ago they know who to go to they go to the compliance group they go to the bonchonic and kings of the world they go to these big firms because they can afford to do it yeah For me, my thought was, I'm not trying to compete with these guys. That's not my aim. What I want to do is I feel like I have the skill set of the compliance group, right? I'm just as good. I can work just as hard, put that kind of effort in. But what about these schools who can't afford the compliance group? What about these schools who can't afford the big law firm? Don't they deserve the same service and opportunity to help their student athletes, to help their personnel as any of the big schools? Mm -hmm. And so that was really my aim It's hey, can we provide affordable services to help schools? And so that's really been the focus since we started It's We'll help you with reviewing your compliance department, the systems that you put in place to make sure you're abiding by NCAA rules. If you have an issue and a student athlete becomes ineligible, we can help you through that process. If you need to educate your staff, we're here. And we're also gonna make sure we're cognizant of the fact that you might not be able to spend an arm and a leg, but if yeah. you want to help people, let's make it happen, whatever the price tag is. The next thing that we've really shifted into is near and dear to my heart. You know, when I worked at the national office, I worked through a lot of cases where a student picked a school to go to, ultimately Mm -hmm. they get there and it wasn't everything that they were expecting and they end up leaving and having to go to another school. That can be devastating when you have to transfer because when you pick a school, you're thinking I'm here for four or five years. Mm -hmm. I might even get my graduate degree here. You're envisioning all these things. So it's devastating when you have to leave. And then you find out, hey, I just got to my next school and I might not even be able to play. And so for me, uh, one of the things that stuck with me was I wanna make sure that when a student is picking their schools, they're making the most informed decision as they possibly can. Mm -hmm. Still go to whatever school you want, but let's talk in detail about what does it mean to go D1? What does it mean to go D2? What does it mean to not get an athletic scholarship at D3? And being just a sounding board to at the end of the day, pick where you wanna go, but let's take a look at this offer a little bit closer and compare them And to make sure that you're making the best decision. So hopefully, all things considered, you can spend that four or five years at the school that you want to be at versus having to make that shift. And so we're looking to really provide webinars and some free educational tools this fall and be available for students. The big thing is, once again, this is not to make a ton of money. I mean, there are a lot of ways to go about making money, but trying to make impact, trying to make sure that we're improving matriculation through school and ultimately, hopefully, graduation rates.
2: Oh, wow yeah I, that's wonderful i was thinking like i guess my first training thought before i guess you, you know started talking about with that you would just be helping out the schools but you're able to help out individual students as well um with certain cases and and things that they have especially like you said transferring that's a big thing now like with the transfer portal and everything with certain you know kids wanting to leave schools go somewhere else to play and maybe have a better opportunity so i didn't realize it so you're able to you know i guess also help you know on the indi- individual scale as well so that's pretty cool pretty cool uh, um wanted to ask, kind of, uh, uh, I guess the, the question popped up in my head. You know, while you were talking, um, what has been, uh, if you can not recall, like what has been, I guess, either what is the toughest part of um, compliance in NCAA, like the toughest maybe um, job or uh, situation that you've come across? Um, I guess as a whole, yeah,
0: yeah, that's a great question. It's a hard one, you know. I, I think this is probably what I tell you, without it being a specific case. I think the biggest struggle is the the really the process of the NCAA rules legislation decision making it's shrouded in mystery for the general public Mm
1: -hmm. and so
0: you probably even see if you go on Twitter if you go onto the news it's hey NCAA makes this decision or that decision and it makes it seem as though it's these arbitrary decisions being made Mm -hmm. when in reality it's actually a pretty well thought out process and a lot of that information is housed on the NCAA website you know I've had people go well, Chris, I'm sure you're just saying that because they're your friends, this and that. and it's <laughs> Yeah, they're my friends. But at the end of the day, some of this stuff is available online, but it's not a good story, right? The mm-hmm. narrative right now is that everything in the NCAA is all bad. And well, that's just not the case. And it's pretty tough when you're working on that side of things and you genuinely care about the students whose cases you're processing. You yeah. want them to prosper and have all the best things in life possible to then turn on ESPN when you get home and find out that, your employer is the worst thing since sliced bread (laughs) that that it weighs on your psyche a little bit. And even Mm -hmm. I always have to resist the urge to engage in Twitter battles Mm -hmm. because some of the stuff that's put out there is just factually inaccurate. Mm -hmm. Now, does that mean the office is perfect? No, No. there are decisions (laughs) that I bet if you pulled some folks aside at the national office and picked their brain on, did you agree with that decision? They'd probably say no, but when you're in that role, your job is to do what the membership wants. And sometimes that's not always the popular decision, but oftentimes you're making the right decision based on what your policies and procedures set forth. And so I'd say that's probably the hardest thing, really knowing that you're doing the right things, but to the rest of the world, they completely look like the wrong thing.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And we definitely get see that a lot. I um, really, I guess, tested that with like just honestly, it's just like headlines. Um, you know, you just, see something like, oh, and then the NCAA already has, you know, kind of like a narrative about about them pretty much in everybody's head already. Um, of course, the biggest thing being because, you know, there's such a big entity making so much money, but, you know, obviously don't want to give that share to the players anyhow. That's always the biggest conversation and topic, which I think I might ask, ask you a little bit about later. Yeah. But I did want to, um, I guess, next ask um, about, or ask, sorry, ask about, uh, your phd and you um pursuing that uh, i know you already kind of alluded to or, or attested to it a little bit that it kind was like a not really a rash decision but it was a big jump a leap of faith um you know to move and um uh, you know go to a different state and you know i guess pursue your pursue your phd so i wanted to first ask like what are you i guess pursuing your phd in what has been the hardest part about it so far and then um also kind of like plans i guess plans with it afterwards like once you you know graduate
0: yeah, so great question. So, you know, you use the word rash, but that probably was the right word to use. You know, when I was deciding to get a PhD, I initially had thought, okay, I'm going to enroll in the fall of 2019. So I'm going to give myself a whole another year to, quite frankly, stack up some cash so yeah. that I'm not putting myself in too bad of a financial hole. And so in terms of getting your doctorate, a lot of that is connecting with the professor and allowing them or trying to gauge whether or not they'd be willing to fund you as a student in exchange for teaching and helping them research, and so I happened to almost by happenstance stumble upon my advisor now, Dr. Jordan Bass. You know, we hopped on the phone, and Jordan had been a student athlete at a Division three institution, and so we had shared this passion for doing research on small schools, mm-hmm. and so we had a conversation and it went really well. He invited me out to campus for a visit, and you know, you kind of just know sometimes, mm-hmm. and everything just clicked when I got to Lawrence. And, you know. It also helped that my family was only eight hours away, and so I was moving closer to home. But everything just seemed right. And so uh, Jordan had funding available for that fall. And so even though I had intended to wait another year, you know, all the signs were pointing to that direction. And so that's really why I took that leap and decided to pursue my uh, Ph.D. in sport management. Now, in terms of my academic background, I have a bachelor's degree in history. I have two master's degrees, one in Uh, health and human performance and the other in communication. And so this is really my first ever sport related degree, which has been awesome, because I get to apply all the things that I've learned in my professional career Mm -hmm. to an academic setting, I get the privilege of teaching and getting to impart upon my students, hey, here's what the textbook says. And here's what we need to think about theoretically. But also, here's my lived experience. And here are the people who I've worked with in their past, here they are to present their lived experience. So you can balance both What the textbook is telling you, which is important and oftentimes will glean into some information that you need to know, Mm -hmm. coupled with what does it actually mean in the industry to be a marketing person? What does that job look like? Yeah. In terms of difficulty, you know, it's funny. There are some things that I'm just very good at in the classroom, (laughs) and that is discussions, right? If we're talking about college athletics, I'm good. I'm not concerned about that conversation, Mm -hmm. but I haven't taken a math class in well over a decade (laughs) by the time I got back here and it's like, okay, you need to take a bunch of stats classes. It's, oh no, Mm -hmm. I haven't touched a calculator in a long time. So those have been definitely, that's definitely one challenge. The other piece being, you know, when you're a student, you're a student again Mm -hmm. and your job is to learn and to be that sponge. And so when you go from a very professional setting where you're the person in charge, You're the person overseeing the processes. You're getting the good paycheck, the good salary to walk away from that and go to, okay, I'm making a fraction of what I was making before financially. I could leave any day and go get a job doing something else that's going to pay me more money. So you always have that opportunity cost weighing in your head. Mm -hmm. But you know, you got to be willing to sacrifice. I mean, sacrifice is everything because you know, you're going to sacrifice for something later on down the road. So in terms of next steps, you know, my hope is to keep doing exactly what I'm doing. And Mm -hmm. that is take a more formal role teaching. So once I'm Dr. Brown, can take on an actual assistant professor role. And then also continue doing my work on the side, because the best part about doing consulting and working on the side is that I can, once again, bring that into the classroom. Mm -hmm. The longer you're away from the work, the more of a step that you lose because you're not in the day-to-day. The consulting work keeps my pulse right there. I'm still part of the day-to-day, but I'm even better and more qualified to help to assist the schools and the students that I'm supporting through my work so that's the plan right now certainly as you know COVID is throwing everything <laughs> wow. for a loop so you know it's just staying positive like everyone else that the job's going to be there when it's the right time whether it's this fall this spring or even a year from now just trusting in the process
2: exactly yeah yeah I'm forgot about that <laughs> like I didn't forget <laughs> about COVID but I um kind of like, I guess forgot to kind of add that in the question to see, or one of my questions to see kind of like how that's been, like I had had an impact, if any, on, you know, I guess current roles, you know, with your consultant firm or even in school, like just how has it been, I guess, during this time for you in general, like you say, pursuing your degree and I guess work related life. <laughs>
0: yeah. You know, COVID's rocked everybody and had a pretty bad impact. <laughs> and so, you know, I don't want to sound flippant about it, but it's actually been good for me. Uh, It forced me to slow down in a lot of areas because if you can't travel out to campuses, I mean, that gives you time to, I can play with my dog. I can unwind. I can work out and take care of myself and have that self-care so that I'm better when I go back onto campuses. When I'm in the classroom, I'm well-rested. I've napped. I can actually be my full self when I'm there. So it's actually been surprisingly good for me in terms of my personal self. Now, with that said, it's definitely been an adjustment, right? For my students, I I feel for them. I mean, we had to go online starting in March, and so that was spring break. So Mm -hmm. as you know, not many students take their textbooks with them (laughs) when they go home for spring break. And so now as instructors, we're trying to scramble to say, okay, how can we provide that same academic experience that they had in the classroom while recognizing some of the unique challenges that some students are facing? I mean, I think it's very easy to say, oh, we'll just move everything online. Well. I don't know what kind of internet my students have. I don't know if it's a good setup, if it's a bad. Can they be logged on at the exact time that I need them? So it's definitely created some unique challenges. I think the cool thing is, though, to see the level of innovation that's come about, whether it be at the University of Kansas or even within athletics. I think everyone's kind of flexing their muscles to show, okay, this Mm -hmm. is not what we planned on, but here's how we're going to make the best of it. And so as we head into this fall, it's really been just trying to be innovative in terms of not only what I'm doing in the classroom, what I'm doing to support my students. But from a consulting standpoint, how can I still help schools and help students? What is going to be the best possible way? And so I had mentioned the free webinars before. That was one of those attempt at innovation. It's I don't know if it's a prospective student athlete, if their parents lost their job due to COVID, right? And they want to learn. They want to learn as much as possible about yeah. the process of being a collegiate athlete. They can't afford to hire a consultant. That's OK. We're going to give you that information for free, because the reality is the information is out there. If you have that hunger to learn, money should not be that barrier. In my opinion, if you're hungry, you should have access to what you need. And so while it shifted things, once again, it's just forced us to be a little bit more innovative and be nimble. And, you know, quite frankly, that's what I enjoy. Give me a problem to solve. And you don't have to give me a lot of resources to solve it because I think it's more impressive when you don't have the resources.
2: Yeah, I could test it that. What well, I guess the first few parts that you were saying, like, yeah, it's gave me time, I guess, to really like, slow down or even just, you know, kinda of have time to yourself. Like uh, I guess, like a lot of people, you know, out there listening and watching. Um, I pretty much it took the time to start this podcast, you know, during co uh during quarantine and everything, but also been I don't know, kind of antsy in certain parts because being mm-hmm. that I recently graduated and still trying to find my way, um, my footing in, in the door in the sports industry has been just tough overall. Like, even, you know, even my girlfriend, she graduated too, like, literally a few months right before everything hit. So, it's just been tough overall, I guess, as a young student, like you just said, just coming out of college, trying to find a job or trying to figure out, you know, what the next steps is when everything in the world has been uncertain in a way. Like you said, just honestly being able, well for me to be able to, you know, try to kind of adapt and do stuff during this time that when everything hopefully goes back to normal, I'll come out better, you know, more experienced. I've been trying to take what you call some good, like just some courses and stuff online that, you know, help me out, you know, that will help me out and kind of go like kind of with my niche uh, in the sports industry and everything. So, everyone else has listened, I guess, pretty much do the same. If you haven't, you know, it's not too late. You know, start what you're doing. And like hopefully you like say, when everything goes back to normal, come back, come out better. So moving Couldn't on just a more. little bit, I guess moving on just a little bit. I kind of wanted to uh, ask and talk about uh, your podcast that you're planning on starting as well. Um, I believe it's called Major. I know it's coming out soon and I know you've uh, been working on it. I'll, of course, be one of the first ones to listen, but definitely want you to you know, talk about that and um, you know, tell the audience about that, that that new venture.
0: Hey, much appreciated. So, yeah, Major Podcast, it's going to drop August 16th. You know, these are scandals that, for the most part, you might have heard of. I think there are a few that, uh, because they weren't big-name schools, they were in the media, but they didn't get the ESPN kind of coverage. But, you know, I thought back to, similar to you, wanting to start a podcast. But I was thinking through, well, what do people want to listen to, and what do I want to talk about? And so I'm like, well, what do I know? I know compliance. Well, let me tell you, even compliance administrators don't want to listen to a podcast on compliance. And I don't know if I want (laughs) to go on and talk about that for a long time but I thought back on my career and so when we started and I got into athletics it was because of an NCAA scandal and even still having worked in athletics for a long time I still get caught up when scandals happen and so I thought what better way to do a podcast than to talk about scandals get in deep about what happened in those cases what were the outcomes were there any unintended consequences of what occurred So I've been interviewing with a number of people who are intimately involved with each of those scandals. We're going to do a deep Mm -hmm. dive into a number of cases. And so excited to release that. I think a lot of folks, when they listen to it, uh, it's going to be a little bit shocking. You know, we think Mm -hmm. about the scandals that are going on currently. I think while they have sparked a lot of conversation, and especially with government intervention in terms of uh, name, image and likeness, this concept of paying student athletes. But I think in terms of egregious behavior, we've seen a lot of stuff happen over the course of the over 100-year history of the NCAA. And so yeah. I want to dive deep into a lot of those cases, including the first ever major violation. So excited to release this podcast, and hopefully people will listen. I'm always open to feedback. And more importantly, if there's a case you want me to cover, definitely let me know.
2: Oh Yeah, definitely. I'll start, you know, I guess going through the files and thinking back to anything that I remember, because um, I'm sure there's something that I'm interested in that i want you to cover but i'm like i said definitely will be tuned in i'll be you know retweeting promoting everything for you as well because my eyes that's something really really interesting i know for a lot of other people a lot of other people i have in my circle as well um just being introduced in the spot in the podcast where i got a lot of other sport podcasts and friends that i know would definitely be really interested as well so um major look out for it let me say august 16th yeah of course yeah august August 16th um i'll be tuned in Yep. And others, I hope uh, hope so as well. Because, like I said, it's so much that always happens like you around surrounding the NCAA. They already have, you know, just like you know this idea about you know them that everybody, you know, we talked about earlier, you just kind of like just feel a certain way about them just because of the type of entity they've been. But I know we don't know everything, and so you kind of had you know firsthand experience, obviously working in compliance. So definitely excited to you know listen to that. Um, and before. I kind of wanted to get, like, it's not really like, it's a scandal, but it's definitely been the news the last few days. Of course, um, with COVID and, you know, fall sports coming up for NCAA schools um, and everything. Uh, of course, we just heard news, what, yesterday or the day before that mm-hmm. um, they've decided to cancel D2 and D3 championships, but D1 hasn't been canceled at all. So, I kind of just wanted to get your thoughts, you know, on how the NCAA has handled this so far um, and kind of do you think they're doing the right thing, I guess, by canceling D2 and D3 and not D1? Or do you think, you know, they should have continued to allow D2 and D3 to have their championships? Because from what I've seen and read, they're canceling the championships, but they're allowing them to have the season if they want to have the season. So mm-hmm. in my eyes, it's a little pointless, though. Um, a little pointless because it's kind of like it in from what I know or what I'm thinking, it takes away their eligibility for that year because they're playing that season, but they don't get to compete at the end, you know, to be crowned a champion. So just kind of wanted to get your thoughts and ideas on kind of like, like I said, how do you think the NCAA has handled it so far? And do you believe they should have canceled D2 and D3 um, championships Um, or, you know, kind of cancel all of them at once, you know, not.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's a good question. You know, it's interesting. You know, the tough thing is, and I don't know if the media has covered this well, the Mm -hmm. biggest part about this decision is that what the NCAA said was, Hey, rather than the Board of Governors, which is truly the biggest oversight committee within the NCAA, because it's a membership driven organization. Mm -hmm. As a staff member, let's say I was still at the NCAA, I could have thought, hey, we should cancel all of these. My opinion doesn't matter. (laughs) It's the schools who are the ones shelling out the money, who are the ones overseeing the student athletes or for the testing. They get to drive all of these decisions Mm -hmm. through this committee structure. And so what the Board of Governors did is say, hey, we're not in the position to make a decision for D1, D2, and D3. But hey, each of you individual councils who oversees each of your divisions, you know what's going on in Division Three, Division Three President's Council, you all make that call. And so as a little bit of a backstory there, by the time that that decision came out with D2 and D3 opting to cancel their championships, a vast majority, in particular Division Three is a great example, I think somewhere in the ballpark of 75% of the conferences in Division Three had already individually canceled. They said, we can't make this happen. And same with division two, I don't know what the exact numbers are, but a lot of conferences said, we cannot make a season happen. We would love to, we would really want to have students to have the opportunity to participate this fall, but we just don't see a feasible way to make this happen from a testing perspective and Mm -hmm. keeping everyone safe and healthy. And so ultimately along with that came some waivers. And so for example, in division three, let's say they play a partial season this fall without a championship. You can still get your season back as long as you don't play in more than 50% of your season. So there are some safeguards put in place there to make sure that a student isn't wasting their year because I think that's a good point. If I'm yes. only going to just play three or four games, that's not really a great experience to use up a whole year for. There yes. are some safeguards in place to make that happen. I think for Division One, this is hard. I mean, I think for everyone with Twitter and kind of, playing decision maker from behind a computer Uh these decisions aren't easy it's just not that easy and so we see it playing out in other areas each state is going through different issues with covid some states are doing just fine some states are horrible to be in in terms of the increase in cases that are going across the board and so i think for division one they know that a lot's at stake uh both for not only their athletics program but for the universities themselves i mean At the end of the day, there's a lot of money at stake. And so for a lot of these schools, they're not wanting to make the decision right away. If they can see how things play out, they want to do so and be as nimble as possible. And Mm -hmm. so this doesn't mean that the Division I championships won't get canceled. They just didn't decide yesterday to do so. And so I would just encourage everyone to keep an eye on things. And the one thing that always gets me is, Well, don't direct your attention to the NCAA, direct your attention to your local school. If you know cases are bad in your area, well, that's where the focus should be, not this blue disc that we've grown to start to hate. The focus should really be on, well, what is my school doing? What's the information in my locale? Is it safe for students to be participating? And if not, that's where we need to be focusing the attention. I think it's very similar to politics we tend to want to look at the big national government but sometimes you got to pay attention to what's going on with your local government because that's where a lot of stuff that's going to impact you on a day-to-day is happening
2: yep exactly exactly that's why you know it's a little bit off topic that's talking about voting (laughs) like vote go to your local election go to your local polls because that's definitely gonna direct that's gonna directly hit you more than you just said like overall government of you know our country but Oh, that's another topic for another day. Um, but um, appreciate that. I uh, guess I also wanted to um kind of ask like, going uh, along those lines, um, a little bit along the lines, but just kind of like just your thoughts and opinions. Like, of course, you know, some of the conferences um have elected to play only in conference like sec and acc Mm. and then believe was it big 12 the big 12 decided that i think that was one of the ones i first read that they're having one non-conference game i think would be like the first game and then the rest of them are in conference games um and then even with was it Pac 12 they came out with a a article to the players tribune um about all these different demands and um You know things that they want in order to play or you know they're threatening to sit out so i kind of just wanted to get your thoughts kind of like almost on on those three kind of individuals that's like kind of do you think the only in conference game uh schedule if they're even gonna play uh will work better versus like maybe like the mix again just a little bit you know one non-conference game and the rest conference games and then kind of like just your thoughts on uh just that letter i don't know if you got the chance to read it or see it or see something that they put in there um so, yeah, just I know it's kind of a loaded question, but kind of like just like just three parts, kind of like how do you think the only uh, in-conference schedule will play out versus maybe like the one non-conference and all rest conference games? And then kind of just like your thoughts on, you know, what the Pac-12 uh, said in their letter.
0: Yeah, if you don't mind, I'll work backwards oh, yeah, on course. that question, starting with Pac-12. You know, first and foremost, good for those student athletes, you know, at the end of the day they're the ones on the field, right? They're the ones who are putting their health at risk. Mm -hmm. They're the ones that are going to be the ones who have the either short-term or long-term consequences of playing a season. And so I applaud them for using their voice. I think at the end of the day, they should be making a lot of the decisions and be a part of that decision-making process. You know, in my time at the national office, we had a lot of student-athlete leaders who were part of the governance process. And if a student-athlete spoke up and said, no, I don't like that rule, I don't like that idea... I don't think it's going to be good for students. It's not like athletic directors were just like, nah, we're okay. We're still going to do it. No, it was, oh, really? Okay, if students don't want this, then it's not a good idea because it's going to practically impact them. Mm -hmm. So good for them for staying up and saying, we don't want to do this because at the end of the day, is there a monetary impact on all of this? Sure. Is any amount of money worth the health and safety of a student athlete? No, there's not a number that you could tell me that's going to tell me that it's worth the risk. It's just not. And so I applaud them and I'm hopeful that the PAC-12 will listen and uh, make some changes in that direction to fulfill at least some of their requests. Now, with that said, there are a lot of moving pieces. Once again, going back to an earlier comment, decision making is not that easy. If so, there'll be a lot of things that would be changed at a snap of a finger. But I'm hopeful that at least those student leaders will get a spot at the table to invest more and be able to give more perspective to what's going to happen this fall. In terms of the non-conference or only conference games, that one's tough for me. You know, at the end of the day, I understand why some of the conferences are going to a conference team only schedule.
1: Mm-hmm. With
0: that said, though, I would love pure justification, right? If you tell me, hey, we can't play this non-conference game because this non-conference team is out of state. They're in a state that's a hotbed for COVID. And we don't want to have them cross state lines or whatever the case may be okay, I can stomach that a little bit better. If it's purely, well, I think we're only going to be able to get five games in, so if we're only going to be able to do five, let's go ahead and just do these five that are in our conference. You know, it's just, I, I don't stomach that quite as well. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, there's a larger impact on some of these non-conference games. I mean, a lot of the games that are being canceled right now are what are called guaranteed games or more colloquial known as colloquially known as money games, right? So for some of these athletics departments playing this large school, a let's say a University of New Hampshire versus a University of Kansas football, that means a pretty large sum of money for the University of New Hampshire. And so oftentimes that money is gonna to go to fund our non-revenue generating sports, right? So our gymnastics, our track and field, a lot of the times they're funded by the revenue generating sports. And so if it's not safe to play a New Hampshire, well, why is it safe to play Texas? Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of where I get a little bit uncomfortable because it's once again, why are we canceling these games and how are these games safer than the others? And so I'm hopeful. I've met a lot of folks who work uh, at those institutions and those conferences. Listen, you know, these are bright people. They really are. They're hardworking. A lot of them former student athletes. And so I'm hopeful that there are solid justifications for this decision making but really, it just makes me a little bit concerned to say, well, why are some games okay and others aren't, without it being pushed out there to the general public? So, with that said, we don't have all the information. I'm hopeful that there's some behind the scenes stuff that we don't know about. But yeah, that's kind of my initial thoughts on the matter.
1: Yeah,
2: I guess kind of just not rash, but quick. Uh, I guess quick answer: Like, do you think they will be able to get through a full season? Um, or
0: I think it's hard. So I'm a big UFC fan, love MMA, big fan of it. And so thank you, shout out to Dana White for keeping us with sports for a while. But even as a sport management instructor and student, I've been keeping an eye on, well, how practically have they made that happen, Mm -hmm. right? So they've had to test multiple times leading up to the fight. Once fighters get to where they're actually fighting, and even Mm -hmm. on that day testing, and you've seen fighters get disqualified because they've tested positive aren't necessarily showing symptoms that they tested positive. And so they've had to move a lot of pieces to make it so that two people can compete against one another. Yeah. Right. Think about all those pieces. The NBA said, yeah, we can make this happen. All we'll have to do is create an artificial living environment <laughs> for all of our players to come into complete with barbershops, restaurants, yeah. places to eat. All we have to do is put them in a bubble to make it happen.
1: Yeah.
0: Is it possible for a full season to happen? Sure. Anything's possible. Mm -hmm. Do I think it's going to? I have a hard time seeing that happen, primarily because we don't have these thresholds, right? If Mm -hmm. eight people test positive for COVID, you stop the season. Is that the number? Is it 10? Is it 25? What's that number? Is it having lots of symptoms? If you're asymptomatic, can you keep playing? There are just so many moving pieces that the doctors are trying to figure out but I think mm-hmm. it's going to be pretty difficult once people start testing positive to really wrangle in. Because the other piece being, I mean, you just graduated. 18 to 22-year-olds find ways to have fun with one another. Mm-hmm. They go off and have parties from time to time, which I know is a noble concept. But they go mm-hmm. out and have parties and do things off campus. And, you know, I think all of those things are going to result in more positive tests. And so yeah. uh, while it would be great for schools if they are able to put everyone in a bubble, that would maybe lead to a full season, we can't put students in a bubble. That's just not a good scenario for them or a likely scenario that schools can make happen. So absent a bubble coming into play, I just don't see a full season taking place.
2: Yeah. Kind of, kind of like I said and thought I did the podcast the other day, I haven't published yet, probably publish it tomorrow, but I was talking a little bit about the same things. And I was saying, like, I guess how the NBA, like how their bubble has worked so far because well, one, they weren't, they, they have less, you know, players per team. They didn't invite all the teams, and they were able to find a campus, you know, that could fit everybody's needs versus, like, football. How many kids is there per team? It's like, what, somewhere around, like, 70 to 80, um, especially on the D1 level. Yeah. And then, obviously, like, there's no place really you can create a bubble for that. Like you say, and I guess I was comparing it more to baseball. I was saying, like, obviously, we've seen the Marlins, yeah. Cardinals. Like, their teams already have, you know, posted players that have, you know, have have had um COVID and you know, uh tested positive and everything, and they're not doing the bubble, um, the bubble test or whatever. But like it, I just see I see it ending bad for them. And I always say like, like we'll see fall sports depending on basically what the NBA and MLB does, and we kind of see the difference between the two. Like one's more manageable, of course, with the bubble with the baseball, they probably could have had a bubble, but it just it that would have been a little bit hard as well. They have more people per staff and more players per staff as well, and then the only places really that were viable, I think, was maybe, like, Arizona. but like it's, like, mm-hmm. 110 degrees, like, during the summer. So it's like, you know, maybe not the safest area for them to do it in. But I don't know. Like I said, I'm kind of on the – kind of, like, with you. I don't think there would be – I don't really think there would be a full season. I would like there to be. Um, I'm a Florida fan, and we've had a lot of great recruits, and I think we're either top five in recruiting class this year. So I wanted to see oh, them wow. – like, a little bit selfish guess we'll just have to wait and see honestly like you said so many moving parts and things that we don't know yet so maybe they're able to pull it off oh yeah last thing last thing i guess before we head out and uh, i'll let you plug in you know all your socials and then let everybody know of course still like um i guess where to find your uh podcast and you know look out for that um again but i always like to end off with a game uh, yeah, what doing? yeah and uh mine, this one just a little just a speed speed round speed questions uh Put five questions together, um, give you 30 seconds to answer them. Um, and let me see, I'm going to watch the clock right here, so I'm going to give it a countdown. Um, but it's five quick questions, whatever the first answer is that comes to mind. So let's see, three, two, one. Okay, the first one is favorite, uh, favorite college football team.
0: Oh, Colorado State University Rams, fight on Rams.
2: Favorite athlete.
0: Favorite athlete right now.
2: Just overall, yeah. I'm mean, actually favorite college athlete, my fault.
0: <laughs> oh, favorite college athlete. That's I don't think I have a favorite college athlete, you know? Working in the industry, it's I'm a fan of them all.
2: Great, great answer. <laughs> who, will, uh, who will win the NBA title this year? Uh, I'm going to go with Los Angeles Lakers. They're a little rocky right now. I'm going won't, won't to say the same thing. All right, who will... Uh, if baseball continues, who will... Oh, actually, no. The question is, will baseball get shut down or continue?
0: It'll get shut down.
2: And then It'll who will win... Who will win the college football playoff championship if there is one?
0: Oh, if we have a season, Clemson's going to be tough to beat. I mean, they're bringing back a lot of returners. Trevor Lawrence, it's his last year. I think he's hungry for another championship before he goes off to make all that money in the NFL. So if I had to choose, it's probably Clemson.
2: Clemson. All right. That's it. That's it. Well, I think yep, that was all the questions. I think we went over about five seconds, but, you know, guys, guys everybody got the question. We figure, we figured, figured uh, out say learn a little bit more about you, you know, into your favorite teams and just your thoughts on everything. But um definitely appreciate having you on today. Um, Appreciate you for staying on with me through all the technical difficulties I had before we were able to get on answering all my questions personally and for the audience um, about, you know, NCAA compliance and just the working in sports industry as a whole. Um, like I said before, we go. I'll let you definitely plug in um, your social medias where everybody can find you. What to look out for from you, of course, uh, with your podcast coming up major. And then, you know, pretty much any advice or encouragement for you know students, even even like me or no ones coming up that want to be in the sports industry.
0: Yeah, so I'll go ahead and give you my social. So Brown underscore Athletics is my Twitter handle. If you end up at Brown University Athletics Department, you went to the wrong one. Brown underscore Athletics, and then I'm on Instagram at Major Podcast. Or you can find me on my website, www.brownathleticsconsulting.com. Major podcast will drop August 16th. Stories of NCAA scandals. Excited for you to listen. And once again, give me some feedback. Let me know what cases you want me to cover. In terms of inspiration, you know, I was thinking about this question as I was walking my dog earlier today. And, you know, one of the toughest parts about this time frame is the rejection piece. And for a lot of you, you're doing the right things, right? You're networking. If you're not, you need to start networking, but you're networking, you're doing the free internships, you're volunteering, doing whatever you can to break in. And it feels like you're still not gonna make it. Keep on punching away. I know it sounds like it's a played out record, but keep on working at it, give it your all every day, keep on networking, keep on applying. Eventually the law of averages says that eventually one's gonna work out Mm -hmm. and don't forget, People passed on Michael Jordan, right? Michael Jordan was the number one overall draft pick in the NBA. So don't forget, once you get your shot, just make sure you crush it, okay? But keep on applying and when that spot comes up, just make sure you crush it, okay?
2: Yes, sir. I appreciate it again. Great advice, like I said, for not only me, but everybody out there listening. Um and I'll definitely be passing this along. Thank you again, um, you know, for coming on today, uh, Mr. Brown and like I said, sharing all your insight and all your, uh, you know, career career advice and um, you know, career journey as a whole, and I'll definitely be keeping in contact with you. Um, and like I said, just again, love it and appreciate everything uh, that you you know gave us today. Dropped a lot of gems.
0: Hey, thanks so much for the opportunity. And yeah, if you or any of your listeners ever want to talk about breaking into the industry, don't hesitate to reach out to me. Like I said, this is one of my favorite things to do. Just talk about my journey through making it through and figure out ways how we can break you through as well.
2: Yes, sir. Appreciate it again. That's another episode of uh, What the Game Means to Me, guys. Appreciate you guys for listening in. Um, Follow us or follow me on social media. You see it right there, WTGMTM Podcast. And you'll be able to listen to the recap of this. Um, Should have it out by Sunday. Um, And then also watch the live stream if you missed this. Um, You know, pass it along to to your fellow uh, classmates or you know anybody in general um as well on youtube um at what the game means to me so i can say that wraps up for uh, another episode today appreciate you guys for joining in and we'll see you next time well that'll do it for today's episode guys really hope you enjoyed the guest really hope you enjoyed the conversation hope you learned something new you already know where to find me um, on twitter WTGMTM Podcast. And on Facebook and Instagram at What the Game Means to Me. Let me know what you guys think of this episode. Let me know if there's anybody that you want me to, you know, interview or have in future shows. Um, you know, just give me feedback. Let me know what you think. Uh, but again, appreciate you guys for rock with me. Continue to listen in and, um, you know, support. I'm gonna keep pushing and I'm gonna keep, you know, bringing you guys some dope content and hopefully some great guests. So appreciate you guys for listening in and, and until next time.